What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 12 of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Selage, and I'm here to help you roll harder on the mat, train smarter in the gym, win more matches, and get injured less. In today's episode, it's going to be a little bit of a different format. I just pulled 10 questions from Instagram, uh, not in any particular order or um, with really any criteria outside of the fact that I think these are interesting questions that you guys proposed or they are commonly asked questions that uh, were pretty frequent in those Q&A boxes. So grab 10 of those questions. We're going to be going over those things today. But before we dive right into it, I do want to let you know that this episode, just like every other episode, is brought to you by TheStrengthMatrix.com. The Strength Matrix is your premier spot for all of your jiu-jitsu strength and conditioning needs. If you're a jiu-jitsu athlete, you fully understand that jiu-jitsu is 100% a combat sport. And it's just a fact of the matter is that no one ever lost a jiu-jitsu match or got injured because they were too strong. And getting stronger is the number one thing that you could be doing when you're not on the mat that's actually going to help your overall jiu-jitsu performance. So that being said, the Strength Matrix is hooking all listeners up of this podcast with a free four-week strength program. You can download that free four-week strength program just by clicking the link in the description below of this podcast. There's no strings attached. Just submit your email. The program will get sent directly to your inbox and you can go ahead and get started on training. So that way you can get stronger so you can enhance your overall performance on the mat so you can win more matches and get injured less. So without further ado, let's dive right into these 10 questions. First question is from make underscore Macintosh, but it's spelt a little bit differently than Macintosh, like the Apple or the the computer. Anyway, his question is Gordon versus Galvao. Who is your pick and why? Um, I'm super excited for this match that's coming up. So for those of you that don't know, ADCC, the Abu Dhabi Combat Club World Championships is this September and it's actually a year late. It was supposed to be last year, but they had to postpone it due to COVID. So um, what's great about this world championships is that it is the biggest the highest production value it's and it's going to be just the absolute craziest jiu-jitsu tournament or i guess i should say submission fighting tournament since they're not officially affiliated with the ibjjf um they're their own organization anyway it's submission grappling um wrestling jiu-jitsu sambo um other forms or judo is is in there as well so any type of grappling is welcome and um put on display, I should say, in this tournament. It's the Olympics of grappling sports. It's one of the greatest events and one that I look forward to every two years. And the way it works is if you win the absolute division the next year, you get to face the former champion in what's called the super fight. And so you can win the absolute division, uh, receive your gold medal, and then you're in number one in line to face the champ who won the last rounds, or I'm sorry, the last world championships absolute division. And if you keep winning those super fights, you just are constantly like the number one dude. And Andre Galval is and has been for a long time the number one dude. I believe he won his first ADCC absolute title in 2011, I want to say. And then he did the super fight in 2013, 2015, 2017, 2019. I might be getting some of those years wrong. But either way, he did the super fight in 2019. And everybody thought that was going to be like his retirement and he was going to step away from the sport and, and that was going to be it. 
and I thought I thought that too. And Andre Galvao is a, a pretty impressive competitor. He has a multiple-time world champion, multiple-time uh, champion in the gi and in no gi. And Gordon, who uh, I'm a huge fan of, just went on an absolute tear in 2019, submitted uh, six out of eight opponents, I believe. I think he submitted everybody except Bouchesha and uh, Lucas Barbosa. So he ended up just running through everybody in the absolute division. And so Gordon was the absolute champ, which history would, or uh, the standards of the tournament, and the format of the tournament would dictate that Gordon is now going to face Andre Galval for the super fight. And for a while, you know, nobody thought it was going to happen because Andre retired or said he was going to retire. And then Gordon and Andre started talking all this trash to each other. They had a physical altercation where uh, Gordon just slapped the just slapped him to another dimension. I think two or three times in this physical altercation. So the the hype for this fight is absolutely enormous, and I'm super excited for it. And that being said, if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with Gordon. And I've watched a ton of Andre Galval footage. I've watched a ton of Gordon Ryan footage. And the thing is, is that Andre, he's an amazing competitor, and he's very skilled and using the rules to his advantage. He's very skilled in understanding what is required to win based off of the rule set and based off of what type of game uh, needs to be used within that rule set. Gordon is kind of the antithesis of that. He doesn't have a game that fits within any one particular rule set. He just goes out and submits almost everybody. I believe he has an 85 or 90% uh, submission rate at black belt, which is absolutely unreal. And because of that, I, I could see how like, okay, Gordon is stepping into Andre's element doing a, a 20 minute, I think, I believe it's a 20 minute regulation match with a 20 minute overtime. So you could be going for 40 total minutes. And not that, um, I guess I should say, not that Gordon isn't good at playing the points game. He is, but Andre is, you know, on paper is just much more experienced in competing under the ADCC rule set. However, Gordon finishes almost everybody. There's only a few people, a very short list of people that Gordon hasn't submitted. And Gordon's only been submitted once at Black Belt against Felipe Pena, which was in 2016, I believe. And so because of that, it's, I, I'm thinking like, okay, Gordon is still coming into his prime. Andre is a little over the hill. You have this young up-and-comer in Gordon Ryan that is, he's not really an up-and-comer. He's just at the freaking top right now um, outside of the one dude he hasn't had a match with yet, which is Andre Galval. And so I just feel like Gordon, when it actually comes down to it in September and we watch this match, I think it's going to be a pretty fun match to watch, at least from a technical perspective. It may not be very flashy. It may not be very dynamic or exciting to um, the naked eye, but I think there's going to be a lot of technical things that we can learn from in watching this match. But I think at the end of the day, Gordon probably submits in between 20 and 30 minutes, I would say. That'd be my guess. That's my pick. That's why I'm going with Gordon Ryan. But if Andre does beat him, I would say that I really don't think that there's any way that Andre could submit him, but I could be wrong. And we'll ultimately just have to see when the time comes. Next question from at Gucci underscore blackface. <laughs> it's a pretty, uh, pretty funny name there. And his question is good weekly splits question mark. And is it bad that I left before rolls? Um, 
So my man, Gucci, if I'm understanding your question correctly, you're asking what is a good weekly split for jujitsu? And then your follow-up question is, is it bad that you left class before you did the actual live rolling portion or the live sparring session of training? So to answer your first question, a good, what would be considered a good split or a good training split for jujitsu? If you're unfamiliar with what a training split is, that's basically how would you how you would describe the number of days you're training and how you break up body parts or, or distribute the volume of work of body parts or energy systems across those days. So for example, if you did a three-day push-pull legs split, that would mean that you lift three days a week. One day you do all pushing exercises, second day you do all pulling exercises, third day you do all leg or lower body exercises. You could do a two-day condensed conjugate split, which is you do it's two days a week and you're doing a condensed version of the traditional conjugate method, which is probably I could dedicate a whole episode to talking about the conjugate system and the condensed conjugate uh, method and all that stuff. However, I'd say I actually just did a video uh, with Phil DeRue on his YouTube channel about this, what the best split is for jiu-jitsu. So for most jiu-jitsu athletes, you're going to want to do strength and conditioning work two to four times a week, or at least on two to four days a week. And that's going to be dependent on how much jiu-jitsu training you're actually doing. If you're a hobbyist and you don't really have big plans on competing all the time and chasing a, a world title and you're going to jiu-jitsu two, maybe three times a week, you could probably handle three to four days of strength and conditioning work. If you're super competitive in jiu-jitsu and you're training twice a day, uh, sometimes even three times a day um, across multiple days a week, you really only have time and uh, the recoverability to be able to handle two days of strength and conditioning work. So it's gonna be different from person to person. It's gonna be different based on the goals of the athlete. To start is to give like a, a base framework. I would say do strength and conditioning two to four days a week and try to do as many days of strength and conditioning as you can, just as long as it doesn't negatively impact your overall jujitsu performance. For me, I do three strength and conditioning days a week. I've gone upwards of doing six days of strength and conditioning a week, all the way down to two days of strength and conditioning a week. And for me right now with, with my training schedule and everything else I have going on in my life, it works really, really well for me to do three solid strength and conditioning days per week. And then to follow up on your second question, is it bad that you left class before you did your live sparring rounds? And I can't answer that. That's going to be up to you and based off of your goals. If you left because you're going to go spend time with your kids, I'm not going to tell you that that's a bad thing. But if you left because you're tired, then yeah, quit being freaking lazy and just stay for the live training. So that's going to be a decision that you have to make for yourself, my man. I can't tell you whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I will say this. If you have goals and you're very clear about what those goals are and that decision to leave class early is incongruent with the goals that you have, you should reassess your decision to leave early. Next question from at Josue Soto 2.0. We're not dealing with 1.0 version. We're dealing with 2.0 version. So his question is, how do you make a living out of BJJ? Uh, Josue, I'm not sure if you're referring to me in particular, like how do I make a living out of jujitsu? 
or if you're just asking in general, like how could anybody make a living out of jujitsu? And regardless of whether you're asking me directly or whether you're asking just in general, the answer is still pretty similar. For myself, I make, I guess you, I, I guess I could confidently say that I make zero dollars from jujitsu, zero. I actually lose money doing jujitsu. I have to, I pay to go to a jujitsu school to train at, and I love paying because I get a, a great reward and benefit of going to jujitsu. So it's not like I'm losing value in any way. I'm trading the value of money for the value of instruction and teaching and a place to train on a consistent basis. So I personally don't make any money out of jujitsu. I don't teach private jujitsu training sessions. I don't uh, compete in tournaments that offer uh, prize money. I don't have any sponsorships from any companies that sponsor me solely on the results of my jujitsu performance. However, I have used my passion for jujitsu to make a ton of money. As a matter of fact, I can confidently say and thankfully say by the grace of God, I've been able to turn my passion of jujitsu into a business that fully sustains all of my base needs for myself and my wife and our cat. So I've, I've thankfully been able to, uh, over the last five years, build up a, a business and run a company that serves the jiu-jitsu community. So I'm very closely aligned and tied to one of my greatest hobbies and passions in life, which is jiu-jitsu. And I'm able to serve the jiu-jitsu community with a very unique skill set and uh, educational history, if you will, in a way that's going to add value to that community. So I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I went to college to study strength and conditioning, kinesiology, and ultimately I started out in college wanting to be a physical therapist. But once I actually worked at a physical therapy office, I was like, you can forget all that noise. I'm out of here. I freaking hate physical therapy. So I shouldn't say that. that's not fair. It's not that I hate physical therapy. I just recognized very quickly that that wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. What I did want to do is something along the lines of strength and conditioning, helping athletes get stronger, helping them perform better, helping I'm super freaking competitive. So if I can do something to help somebody win more often in any sport, I'm going to be pretty fired up about it. And in the middle of college, when I was a sophomore, was when I started jujitsu. And I'd come from a wrestling background and I'd done some wrestling strength and conditioning stuff in the past, but I was kind of in this limbo period. And once I started jujitsu, I immediately fell in love with it. And within, I think within three months of me starting jujitsu, I started my company Settled Strength with the goal of serving jujitsu athletes and providing them with sound strength and conditioning training and education. So ultimately I can help jujitsu athletes win more matches and get injured less. So the principles of that story and, and my testimony, if you will, are the way you can make a living out of jujitsu, unless, unless you're one of the top 1% of 1% competitors in the world that are winning world titles and winning prize money, or you're one of the top 1% of instructors that are making instructional content and actually can make a living selling that instructional content, the only other way you can make a living doing jujitsu is by opening up your own school or teaching privates, which in my opinion, for me, that is not something that I want to do. I have no desire to own and run and operate a jujitsu school. And at this point, I don't have the time or the passion to teach jujitsu on a regular basis. However, I can still stay connected to the jujitsu community and still have my passion of jujitsu contribute 
to making money to sustain my lifestyle and sustain my wife and, and our cat. And that's through having value that I can add to jujitsu athletes. And there's a lot of people that have been able to do this and take their profession and mix that into their passion of jujitsu and begin adding value to jujitsu athlete. There's a couple people um, online that I've seen that are lawyers specifically for jujitsu athletes. And there are people who are financial advisors specifically for jujitsu athletes, physical therapists and doctors and chiropractors specific to jujitsu athletes and combat sport athletes. So if you have a unique skill that you feel can add value to the jujitsu community, Sure, you may not be making money by competing or making money by teaching jujitsu, but you can add value to the jujitsu community and in return get paid for that, build up a business model with that, and then you know have a little extra cash on the side. Or if you want to do it like myself, spend five years hustling and grinding away at it and then turn it into something that you can run full time and scale it up to a, uh, a much larger level. So that would be my suggestions. And, uh, my answer to you, Hostway 2.0. I wonder if the Hostway 3.0 is going to be making a living out of doing jujitsu. That'd be pretty sick. Next question from at Cody.Riccatoni. Do you ever use kettlebells for strength building or just conditioning and hit? Hit as in high intensity interval training. Yes, I do use kettlebells for strength building. I love kettlebells. It's a great tool. Is it the best tool for getting strong in the entire world? Absolutely not. I don't think any tool is the number one tool. Um, each job needs a different tool. So if you only have a hammer, everything you look at looks like a nail, right? That's that's how the saying goes. So I definitely use kettlebells for strength building. I love using kettlebells for highly explosive movements like the kettlebell swing, the kettlebell snatch, the kettlebell clean and jerk. And you could do some of those movements and exercises for conditioning, um, doing intervals of kettlebell swings or doing intervals of kettlebell snatches. And that would kind of fall within the high intensity interval training side of things. You don't really do long kettlebell workouts, which are like 30 minutes of continuous swings. That would just be really freaking boring. Um, but as far as how I would use kettlebells for strength building, I love using kettlebells for shoulder stability, especially when you use kettlebells in the bottom up position. So imagine you're holding the kettlebell, you're still holding the handle, but the bell part or that the big ball, the, the heavy part of the kettlebell is pointed up in the air. It's a great way to strengthen your grip. It's a great way to improve shoulder stability and get freakishly strong. The stronger your bottom-up kettlebell press or your bottom-up kettlebell hold, improve, or the, the stronger you get at those movements, the stronger your Z press is going to be, the stronger your push-ups are going to be, the stronger your floor press is going to be. It's just a great exercise. So I like to use kettlebells for that. I also like to use kettlebells for um, just a lot of different goblet movements. I mean, you could do, use dumbbells and do the same thing. You could do a dumbbell goblet squad. You could do a dumbbell a goblet split squat, but there's something about the kettlebell and the shape of it that I feel when you hold it upside down, your hands can kind of grab the bell that much easier and kind of sits in the palms of your hands a little bit better. So to answer your question, yes, I do use kettlebells for strength building. I also use them for conditioning and high intensity interval training. Next question, at underscore big tuna gym or at, I'm sorry, at underscore big tuna underscore gym. A little office reference for you there, which I'm, I appreciate that. 
His question is, how do the air bike conditioning workouts change during a deload week? Great question. So if you guys follow me on Instagram, you guys might have seen that I'm a huge fan of using the air bike or a fan bike, any bike that has pedals and handles at the same time. I'm a big fan of using those pieces of equipment for conditioning. And we usually, at least in the AM crew, we go pretty hard in the paint on those. And when it comes to a deload week, how we would structure that is going to be dependent on what our overall training goals are and where we're at in relation to an upcoming competition or where we're at in a season of training. Are we in our off season? Are we in our preseason? Are we in the middle of training camp? Or is it peak week? So it's the week right before a competition. And so how it would change during a deload week or a week where we would lower training intensity and training volume is either sometimes we would just cut it out completely. So say for three weeks, we did one minute on 30 seconds off on uh, air bike conditioning. We would run that for three weeks. And then on week four, where we would take a deload, we might just cut it out completely. And instead of doing, just take a break from the air bike and instead do some sled drags, maybe do um, other forms of conditioning that are a little less intense and a little bit slower pace. So like maybe we'll go on a hike or maybe we'll um, just do some really light stadium runs. We'll change it up in that sense. If your air bike is the only form of conditioning you have, you can just drop the total number of sets that you're doing and drop the overall intensity. So say for three weeks, you're doing six sets of, we'll use the same example. Say you're doing six sets of 60 seconds for three weeks during your deload week, I would only do three sets and I would do 30 seconds at a pretty moderate pace, like not a sprint, but you're still working up a sweat a little bit. It's just not as intense as it would be. So big tune in gym. Hope that answers your question. Next question from Dem- at Demetrius underscore Polizos. Can you give an example of a jacked and tan day? Thanks. Yes, absolutely. So jacked and tan days are, at least within the AM crew, we call them jacked and tan days. This is the third day of our three-day condensed conjugate split where we're focused on all of our GPP accessory work. And sometimes we might add a little bit of conditioning on a jacked and tan day. But for the most part, those jacked and tan days are reserved for improving general physical preparedness and getting into more accessory work. So for example, the last phase of training that we did, this is what our jacked and tan days looked like. We would do one upper body giant set, and then we would do one lower body giant set. A giant set is usually three to four different exercises performed back to back to back, followed by a brief rest period. So for the upper body, we would do something like uh, banded Y press, uh, tricep pushdowns, Uh, chain curls and usually we like to throw in some sort of neck exercise in there so we'll do banded neck rotations so we'll do four sets of 15 to 25 reps for all those exercises we'll do one set of each exercise back to back to back with this little rest between each one we're not turning it into a circuit per se like we're not trying to rush through this but we're just not really resting from one exercise to the next we'll hit one set of all four of those exercises Then we'll rest for about 45 to 60 seconds, and then we'll start the second time through. We'll do one giant set for, uh, or I'm sorry, I should say four sets of those exercises for the upper body, and then we'll do the same format for the lower body. That may look like a forward sled drag, 
a backward sled drag, uh, back extensions, and let's see, we'll pick one more. It's not really lower body, but you could put it, mix it in with the lower body, like a hanging leg raise or some sort of core exercise. We would do four sets of 15 to 25 reps on that. And then on the sled, we're not counting our steps. We just drag it down and back on the turf and that would be one set. So you'd run through all your upper body exercises four times and then you'd run through all your lower body exercises four times. That's how we would structure a typical jacked and tan day. And there's a whole bunch of variations that you could use on those jacked and tan days. You could do it in supersets, which is only two exercises back to back, or you could do it and just, you know, just do one all out set for one movement and then move on to the next one. So have a lot of fun with your jacked and tan days. There's not like a, uh, prescription or like, a there's, there's nothing that says you, you can't have a little bit more creativity with your jacked and tan days, but the focus of the jacked and tan day is to focus on improving your general physical preparedness, which is your base fitness level for jujitsu and getting an extra accessory work and it's in the name itself getting jacked so packing on a little bit more muscle getting jacked and if you're in california like we are and you can train outside and get a little tan that's always a good idea also next question from rodrigo underscore alves underscore a how to handle a faster opponent this is a great question so there's a couple things you can do to better handle a faster opponent and there's a few things that may when we talk about an opponent being fast, we need to kind of differentiate the different components of what makes an athlete fast. An athlete can be fast in the literal term in the sense that they can recruit muscle fibers uh, very quickly and be explosive and start moving very fast. So you look at a sprinter, they're moving very fast. They can go from being standing still to in a full sprint very quickly. That's a good definition of being fast. Now, the other thing too to look at is we can think that our opponent is faster than us because they do everything before us, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're fast fast per se. That just, mean that, that just means that their timing or their precision may be much better than ours. And the other thing that makes sometimes opponents feel like they're way faster than us is that they stop us from moving. So anytime we do get the chance to move, it's too late. They already beat us to the position. We can't do anything about it now. We're stuck there. So when it comes to handling a faster opponent, I would I would say that probably like 70% of the time, your opponent may not be that much faster than you. Eh, maybe not 70%. I take that back. Let's say 60% of the time. I would argue that 60% of the time, your opponent really isn't that much faster than you, but they are doing a better job of timing things better than you are or preventing you from moving to be able to defend their techniques. And so how would we handle that? Well, we would just apply the opposite to them. So if they're being more precise, if they're timing things better than we are, we need to identify, okay, what positions are they constantly beating me in that I just can't stop? Well, we just need to recognize that that technique or that move is coming a little bit earlier so we can stop it before it happens. Um, the other thing is to limit their movement as much as possible. If you are, if you're playing, if you're rolling with someone who has a really dynamic guard game and they're really fast and they're really scrambly, they like to wrestle up from guard and do all this crazy stuff uh, going from bottom to top position. If you start body lock passing them, they're not that fast. 
And the main reason is because you've prevented their ability to move. So when you're handling, looking to handle a faster opponent, think about being more precise, think about having better timing than them, which all comes with practice and and just more time on the mat. And then also look for ways to limit their movement as much as possible. If someone's really explosive and really fast, and bear I say, even, dare I say, even a little spazzy, if you're able to hold them down or restrict their movement, they're not going to be as fast, aka they're not going to be as spazzy. So Rodrigo, hope that answers your question. Next question, at Beta Ray Chill. <laughs> I like that. I like that name. For those of you who are Marvel fans, you guys may recognize the name Beta Ray Bill, which who knows if Beta Ray Bill is going to be in this new Thor movie that's going to drop here in a couple weeks. Anyway, question from Beta Ray Chill. Can a typical conjugate split three days a week be good for strength training BJJ? Question mark. Yes, this is the same split that I'm currently following. So for those of you who are unaware, the conjugate training system was originally designed by the Russian strength and conditioning coaches in the Soviet Union. They were uh, just killing everybody in the Olympics after, and they were making a ton of progress too. They were getting really fast, getting really strong, packing on slabs of muscle. Uh, everybody from track athletes, wrestlers, swimmers, gymnasts, everybody was killing it with this con- with this conjugate system. Louis Simmons, who is a U.S. or R.I.P., who was a U.S.-based strength coach and powerlifter from Columbus, Ohio, he took the conjugate system and made it popular in the United States and widely used it for powerlifting and then eventually started using it for sports. And the way it works is on one day, you'd go, you'd go really, really heavy for the lower body. Then the next day, you go really heavy for the upper body. Day three, you go really fast for the lower body. And then day four, you go really fast for the upper body. So you kind of, you tackle both ends of the spectrum. You have your heavy days and then you have your really fast and explosive days, which if you think about it is great for sports because you got to be really strong for all sports. And you know, if you're faster in most sports and more explosive, it's going to help you out quite a bit. And that's four days a week. And not every jujitsu athlete has four days available for them to do strength and conditioning work. And sometimes they just can't recover in time from four days of training. So you can condense that conjugate split into three days, which is what I currently do. And I use this condensed conjugate model with a ton of the grappling athletes that I work with around the world. And it's one of the staple principles in the strength matrix, especially the bracket smasher training program. And I got to give credit where credit is due. I originally heard of the condensed conjugate system from my good friend and mentor, Phil DeRue, and how he used it originally for his MMA fighters. So instead of doing the conjugate split across four days, we would do it across three days. And so one day would be really, uh, really heavy for the lower body, really fast for the upper body. Day two would be really heavy for the upper body, really fast for the lower body. And then day three would be jacked and tan day. So GPP work and accessories. And so to answer your question, beta Rachel, yes, it could be very good for strength training for jujitsu. If you're looking for a sound condensed conjugate training program specifically for jujitsu, I would check out the bracket smasher program within the strength matrix. It's going to help you get stronger, improve your explosive power, increase your conditioning and decrease your risk of injury. Next question from at AQ Katri. I'm sorry, AQKHATRI, however you pronounce that. 
their question is how to improve strength and muscle mass at the same time and even be flexible. This is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, so improving strength and putting on muscle are pretty closely correlated. This would be you know, a power building training program. So you do have your heavy strength work, which happens within, you know, the four to six rep range for about four to six sets. And then you also have your hypertrophy work, which is kind of in the three to six sets of eight to 12 rep range. You can definitely blend those two components together and have a really kick-ass power building training program, which is designed to help you get stronger and pack on a little bit more muscle at the same time. And now that that's pretty that's pretty common. It's pretty common to do those things. You just have to have the right training program that's gonna get you there. Um, shameless plug, but Matt Jacked and Matt Strong are the perfect training programs to help you do that. Matt Jacked leans more on the side of packing on more muscle. Matt Strong leans more on the side of getting a little bit stronger, but they're both gonna be able to help you improve strength and increase muscle mass at the same time. Now, when it comes to being flexible as you're doing that, or let's say swap out the term flexible for uh, maintaining mobility, that's just something you have to factor into all your training and treat it like anything else. So if you wanna get stronger and you want to pack on more muscle that's great you need to dedicate time to to work towards those goals and you want to be flexible and more mobile well that's great you can totally do that too you just have to dedicate the time to do that i tried to in the strength matrix i tried to make this as viable and as easily accessible as possible and that's why i put in over 25 different mobility routines so that way regardless of what training program you're following within the strength matrix you can go through those daily mobility routines and make sure that you're continuing to improve your mobility which is going to help you decrease your risk of injury in the gym and on the mat and it's going to enhance your overall performance for jujitsu. So it's definitely possible. Just takes time and effort and discipline like anything else. Last question here from at Harleen underscore Hina. What made you choose BJJ over other martial arts? Great question. Um, well, I came from a wrestling background. I had wrestled, well, I should say I came from a traditional martial arts background studying a, a martial art called Bak Fu which is, uh, if I st still remember correctly, the trans that's like, it's called white tiger kung fu. But anyway, Bak Fu had a mix of all these different martial arts incorporated into it. So there are a lot of taekwondo elements, a lot of traditional karate elements, some a little bit of Muay Thai uh, and some American kickboxing elements, some uh, Krav Maga elements a little bit. There is uh, Kempo Karate. There was... Um, Eskrima, uh, stick fighting and knife fighting elements mixed in there. And there was also a little bit of grappling. I, I wouldn't say that there was a ton, but maybe a, a very small part of, uh, part of that entire system contained some fundamentals of jujitsu, like a triangle from closed guard, an armbar from closed guard, things like that. So when I was in elementary school, middle school, and high school studying Bak Fu, I got exposed a little bit to jujitsu and I really liked it. I, whenever we would have the opportunities to roll around, it was so much more fun in my opinion than trying to kick someone in the head or in at least in my case, getting kicked in the head. And I just loved the grappling aspect of it. So fast forward, I did this on and off between wrestling seasons in middle school and high school. And when I was in middle school, I started wrestling. And then after that, I 
kept wrestling all the way through to high school. Eventually, I was wrestling so much and focused so much on wrestling, I ended up quitting Bakfu and focused on wrestling full-time and took that up until I was a junior in high school. I didn't wrestle my senior year for a variety of reasons. A whole episode can be dedicated. On my old podcast, I did dedicate an entire episode to that. But I got really into wrestling and was kind of fully a grappler. I didn't do any striking sports or any striking combat forms or or striking martial arts or anything. I was just grappling, just doing wrestling. And so I leave wrestling, I graduate high school, go to college, and I was lifting weights and just being a meathead, which I had been since I was in middle school. And I had been listening listening a lot to uh, Jocko's podcast. Jocko Willink has a podcast. It's called Jocko Podcast. Jocko Willink is is a retired Navy SEAL commander leadership leadership coach entrepreneur and he's a i want to say he's been a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt for like 15 years or, or something crazy he's been a black belt for a very long time and in his podcast you talk a lot about jiu-jitsu and it would remind me of those times when we would do a little bit of jiu-jitsu when i was a kid and i was like man like gosh that sounds so much fun and and i had tried to fill that wrestling shaped hole in my life with other things like bodybuilding i did one bodybuilding show and it was really fun but definitely not something that i wanted to do for the rest of my life i wanted something that was like a little scrappy wanted something where i could roll around a little bit and get that feeling again and so i ended up just choosing jujitsu it seemed like a pretty pretty uh logical jump to go from wrestling to jujitsu i knew a lot of other people that had made similar jumps and so in 2017 I started jujitsu and haven't looked back since. Been doing it for five and a half years now. Um, and my only regret was that I didn't start sooner. So that's the main reason why I chose jujitsu over other martial arts. I definitely, I could see in my future branching off and dabbling in other forms of martial arts. I, I think martial arts training as a whole is is fascinating, even though right now, like, jujitsu is my primary um primary focus but we were talking about this actually with the am crew like okay if you would do another form of martial arts what would you do and i think for me i would want to do some form of kickboxing i think that would be uh kickboxing or muay thai that'd be very tough for me because my hips i've tried to do some of the kicks i could do as a kid i can't freaking do them at all so that'd be very hard and very challenging um and it's just it's just good to be well-rounded you know, like in a self-defense situation, I feel very confident in my ability to defend myself, um, but not confident in my ability to understand all the components of not getting punched. My knowledge of that is, you know, clinging and clinching with somebody and then looking for a way to bring them to the ground and control the position on the ground, which has a ton of value in it. But I think it would be good to be a little bit more well-rounded in the future. So Thank you guys so much for your questions. This was a ton of fun. We have a few more podcasts coming out soon that are going to be in this format. Um, And if you guys have other questions, you guys can always submit them on Instagram whenever I do those question boxes a couple times a week. Or you can shoot me a DM at Joshua Setledge. If you enjoyed this podcast episode and got any value out of it, I would really love and appreciate it if you screenshotted this episode, shared it on your social media, and tagged your boy at Joshua Setledge. Guys can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Selage. Check out the YouTube channel, Selage Strength the BJJ Strength Coach. And I will catch you guys later. Peace.